Hello and welcome to another episode of Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT editorial team. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT Head of Content, and I'm joined by our Senior Content Producer, Sam Davis. Sam, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Pretty tired after um, what's been a long form next week, but um, yeah, I'm good. I was going to say, Sam and I have spent the last week, well, last few weeks really, covering all the biggest news coming out of this year's All Digital Formnets Connect event, and as you just said, Sam, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I feel just as tired as I do after a week in Frankfurt. <laughs> yeah, the only part of my body that's not as tired as my feet, I think, um, <laughs> which should be well capable of going for a, a bit of a long walk this weekend. But otherwise, yeah, yeah it's um, it's been really quite hectic. And I, I don't know whether we expected it to be so busy. Um, you can never really tell with a virtual uh, event how much news is going to kind of pop up around it but um my my inbox is still looking you know a bit mad so that's <laughs> a good representation of what it's been like see you and I tried to be quite clever this year by talking to companies in advance seeing what they were launching seeing what kind of scoops we could get beforehand thinking oh it'll be great it'll be a virtual mm-hmm. event you know we can just go sit in the conferences in the press conf- uh, press conferences and all that kind of stuff and it'll be fine we'll get all that out of the way but you're so right. The news has just kept coming all week and right up to the last minute, as we'll talk about um, later on today with, with big machine launches. But it has felt just as busy as it normally would if we were on a show floor. So, um, yeah, we've got plenty of news, interviews and Q&As with companies who've made virtual announcements this week, just in lieu of the annual in-person conferences, which you'll normally see me and Sam darting our way between every, every November rushing around the show floor. Uh, but you can find everything you need to know um, at tcmagazine.com. But we also thought we'd have a little bit of a chat about some of the things that we've seen this year, um, starting with our very own TCT conference at Formnets Connect. But first, a word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod. So Sam, I feel like you and I have had the opportunity to view the conference this year from completely different lenses. Um, So I had the pleasure of presenting our our speakers uh, for the conference. Um, I went to uh, film a couple of weeks back now um, at Fact in Liverpool, which was which was kind of cool, um, and it was nice to be able to get to see a lot of the the presentations beforehand, and then as you'll again see later on, we got to speak to some of those speakers as well as part of our our Fonix interview series. Um, but yeah, so I got to um, film some links in between our speakers and just just find out what they were doing. And Sam, you managed to find a little bit of spare time this week uh, to go sit inside the conference and find out what these uh, companies had to say. But we had a really, really uh, diverse lineup this year, both across the speaker diversity and, and application industry diversity. Um, our conference producers, uh, Magda and Charlotte, have done such a great job of putting that together this year. And, you know, our first big virtual conference, we had companies like Virgin Orbit, um, various different research institutes like Fraunhofer and also um, universities as well. Um, all talking about various things like 
application in aerospace, medical, uh, the latest research in academia, and one of the big topics which we've talked about a heck of a lot this year, including on this podcast, uh, sustainability. And um, so, Sam, you managed to get along to the the first session of the conference, which was the aerospace session. And um, what did you see? What did you hear? Yeah, so um, it kicked off um, on, I think it must have been Wednesday afternoon, is that right? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we started with a uh, transport track with a focus on aerospace, talked from Marshall Aerospace, Boeing, Virgin Orbit, um, which I thought was quite a nice balance. You had um, a really experienced user in Boeing who's been working with the technology since, um, I think they said the late 90s, and they've since produced tens of thousands of AM parts, and then Marshall and Virgin Orbit, <clears throat> excuse me, who are a bit newer in their adoption of the technology. Um, most of the work Marshall has talked publicly about has been in jigs, fixtures, sacrificial tooling, prototypes, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but they're moving into end-use parts as well. Um, one component they highlighted was an inlet duct uh, produced in nylon 12 on a Stratasys 4, 450. Mm-hmm. Um, that part is now 63% lighter, 90% cheaper to produce and, and can be done in two weeks compared to eight um, with their traditional methods. And they're also saying that they're enjoying kind of scanning parts and making digital twins and then being able to move through design ideas a bit more uh, quickly. One anecdote mentioned how they showed a part to a client um, in the morning and then had a bit of feedback and managed to redesign that part over lunch and then get the customer to buy into that part in the afternoon um then i think virgin orbit came um at the end of the track and they're looking at uh thrush chambers with dmls um their propulsion department is said to have several rocket parts currently in the development um and their pull um with am is you know reducing weight and tackling complex geometries um and one key one was reducing the number of possible leak paths in, in fluid systems, which, you know, might be a problem if you're welding parts together, for example, I guess. Um, and then in between those two, we had Boeing, who were highlighting their aims of adding value with AM, capturing mm-hmm. reductions in cost, time, weight, assembly, um, and, and e- increases in quality at the same time. And they were speaking about an engine mount for a uh, Boeing 702 MP aircraft, Mm-hmm. Um, printed with the EOS M400, um, and they were able to achieve a 28-pound weight reduction there. Um, and then after that, there was this AMOS 17 command horn antenna satellite um, that they've developed. Um, interestingly, this project was headed by an engineer called Nicole, who <clears throat> was apparently just two years out of college, um, was responsible for pretty much everything, structural design, AM design, performance testing and, and documentation. Um, the resulting part is a single monolithic component that was previously a multi-piece assembly, um, which had things like RF uh, features kind of integrated into it. Um, it had gone through mechanical and thermal testing, which was looking at static fatigue, thermal cycling, so on. Um, and you know that was to prove that it could withstand the worst case environments. Um, and this is Boeing's first metal AM flyaway communications antenna. Um, and by using AM to produce 
this part, they've achieved a, a 57% part reduction uh, and 90% cost reduction. Um, so it's, you know, it's nice to see some of these kind of end use components picking up. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, <clears throat> you know, Marshall were highlighting a lot of the tooling applications and so on. Um, but we're, we, you know, we're gradually moving into these kind of end use and flight ready components. Um, and just a quick note on, on the session that actually finished the conference off on uh, Thursday morning, mm-hmm. uh, Mechatronics in our heavy industry session, they, they highlighted another component designed to withstand a challenging environment. Um, uh, it was a housing for a vibration sensor cover that is installed on a, um, a piece of machine monitoring um, equipment that um, is used in the maritime sector. And this is a part that was previously milled, um, but in a bid to kind of reduce cost and time, they were looking at AM. And I think first they just printed, you know, as close to the original design as they could. Um, and they were, I think they can manage to do 66 um, of these parts on um, an SLM 250, which is a 30 by 30 centimetre bill plate. Right. Um, and they can do that in about 30, 40 hours. Um, but in doing that, it required a lot of support structures, um, which were obviously adding a lot of time kind of further along in the process to remove those um, supports. And then they redesigned and redesigned. And in the end, um came to a part that was significantly smaller um so that they can produce a hundred of those on the same machine in just a little more time um with only a few hours for pre and post operations um and that that part is done in stainless steel um for its corrosion resistance and stiffness um both of which are important obviously in kind of offshore maritime environments and then in doing this, I think they they said they had the cost down by about forty percent. Lead time was cut in half, um, and now they they produce thousands of these parts every year. Um, and going forward, they're looking at how they automate uh, the the final machining process and kind of refine that whole workflow mm-hmm. uh, a bit more. But um, certainly, a lot of kind of exciting things going on in those heavier industries. I think you're so right there, Sam, in the way you sum that up, that it's really nice to see a lot of these end-use applications and components really coming through now, especially with things like aerospace. I've been to so many presentations where it's been a lot about the future applications and what we could be able to do, uh, you know, in, in 10 years' time or, or, or even longer. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to see these interesting applications that we don't see very often because, again, we, as, as our, um, I was a former head of content, Dan used to always say, you know, we'd see the, the G loop fuel nozzle um, over and over again as one of the, uh, the main applications in, mm-hmm. in aerospace. But it, it's, it's great to see these, these new ones coming through. And especially with newer players like um, Virgin Orbit, the fact that, um, you know, their, their speakers were both so passionate about the process and just really excited by what it could do. And it's great to see that, um, you know, straight away, they're already looking at, at, at metal additive manufacturing as a means of producing these end use components. And going off what you're saying about about heavy industry, then I'm, I think I said this in the, the introduction for the conference, heavy industry is, is one of those that we've seen so much more come from this industry over the last year in terms of mm. um studies and application examples and collaborations with companies and it's really interesting because it's not one of those industries that needs these super lightweight you know super shiny complex um over the top parts that you might see in in other industries which are really cool don't get me wrong and it's nice to see them on on a show floor but um these are this is an industry that's interested in making 
um, these these heavy duty parts um, to decrease these long lead times because it is for these items that are going out to, to offshore applications and, yeah. and these various installations. Um, so it's great to see how they're using that to, to bridge the gap in their supply chains and with new processes that we're seeing now with things like um, wire arc additive manufacturing, there's just so many more options opening up for not just things like building parts for heavy industry, but also repairing parts too. So many of these parts have been in existence for such a long time that um, it's easier if you can to to just repair them rather than um, replace them. And especially with the ones that have perhaps lost moles and, and tools for, for producing them now, it, it's this is becoming a, a really viable alternative. So it was kind of nice to, I think, start the conference on an industry that we're, we're so used to seeing with additive and then finish it on one that I think mm. um, is really been more of a, a recent adopter of the technology. Absolutely, yeah. And as Baker Hughes was pointing out to us earlier in the year, um, in issue four, I think, of our magazine, the volumes are just right for that industry. They're not particularly high. So if you can if you can kind of get the design right and, and maybe get the supply chain right, then you can, you can really le- leverage our... Uh, additive in that in those industries you know maybe for end use parts but also for kind of you know spare parts and and you know responding to kind of failed parts a lot quicker and and making sure the operations keep moving Um, Mm -hmm. so i think we should see plenty more from that from that industry in the next few years definitely um, another session that i wanted to highlight part of the tct conference was the the medical session I'm very sorry that we're not going to get through another podcast without saying it, but it was a COVID application that, that opened uh, this part of the conference. And um, it was from um, a movement called the My Mass Movement, which is um, a project set up with, I think it's around 100 um, volunteers um, all over the world, which came together at the start of the um, COVID-19 pandemic to come up with um, a solution for a reusable um mask which could be washed and could be customized to the wearer's face back when supply chains were all kind of backed up and people couldn't get access to things like PPE and all that kind of crucial equipment that was very much needed um, back in March. Um, Jesse Chang, one of the founders of the My Mask Movement, talked about how he'd seen firsthand from talking to friends and um, just about the struggle that they had with them um, having to sanitize their masks and, and reuse their, their masks early on in this in this pandemic. And so they decided to come up with a solution um, that would allow them to customize the mask to the face of the wearer, and um, but do it all using smartphone technology, which is, you know, I, I think when I first started at TCT, I, I saw a lot of apps on the consumer side where it was like, you know, scan your face and you can do this but it was never it was never really perfect and I you know I wondered when it would actually catch up with them with with you being able to kind of use this technology on your smartphone but they've developed um, a piece of software with the guys um, at Trinkle which basically means that um, you can take a face scan using your smartphone and then have this uh, mask customized to your face to make it more comfortable. Um, for those, you know, long hours, which are key workers, um, you know, having to work during this um, this pandemic. And um, what they've managed to do is they've managed to um, create one that is not only um, fitted to the wearer, but is also um, sustainable in the way that it's manufactured. You can reuse it. I think it's like a reuse up to a hundred times or something like that you can you can reuse it an awful lot which is great because it means you're not constantly having to um, get new ppa over and over but um it's made with um hp's um mjf technology at scale um and they talked about how that ability to scale with digital manufacturing is is really just fundamental and how that was 
that the kind of the backbone of this project, you know, at a time when those traditional supply chains just couldn't catch up um, with producing these items um, to kind of to the to the need that we that we sorry the need we needed them for. Um, they were able to really scale digital manufacturing um, in a way that made that possible. Um, and to do it in a way that, you know, it was easy for these um, consumers to be able to, to access that um, that kind of ch- value chain, I guess, and be able to, to do the scanning um, themselves. Um, but they also talked about how digital manufacturing was just great in allowing them to really um, quickly um, iterate on these designs. I think they said just before they recorded the presentation, I think they were on version 100 um, of how many of these masks that, they, that they've gone through. And I think that's just that's just great because it shows that, yeah, you can make these little tweaks, you know, get it out to the wearers as quickly as possible, get them to give you feedback on whether it whether it fits comfortably, whether it's it's fit for purpose, and then they can come back and make tweaks and print off another load. And I just think that is such a good example of, of how this technology can quickly quickly react to, to these sort of times of crisis. And it is something that we've talked about, um, you know, several times really on this podcast and so much throughout this year because it just has been hard to avoid with, you know, every 3D printer user and company coming up with solutions to really help um, curb the spread of coronavirus and to um, help with the production of things like PPE, whether it was uh, masks or um, the kind of the headbands for, for visors or even making swabs. And uh, we've really seen how this technology can plug those supply chain gaps and um, really help get those products to the um, to the point of need much quicker. Uh, and they also are working with Three Your Mind as well, um, a three D printing software company, um, on this idea of distributed uh, manufacturing. And um, so they, I think they said, compared to injection molding, um, which yeah, you might be able to produce like one hundred fifty thousand of these masks a month, but the point is, it's going to take you three and a half months to even get started because you need to go through all the tooling process and make sure that that's right. You know, you can't keep iterating and iterating on something like that. So, you know, whereas yeah, you'd be able to make thousands to start with, you're going to have to wait. Whereas that really was not what we needed at this time. We needed stuff right away. Whereas mm. with printing, you can make yeah, you can you know, one machine might only be able to make maybe a thousand a month. But you can start right now. Yeah. And said that with someone like Three Your Mind, they're now able to manage that um supplier network to really scale that um to have more providers and more machines and um, making these products. So it's also just such a good example of that collaboration. You know, I mentioned Trinkle earlier and Three Your Mind and the the global team of, of hundred volunteers just coming together to solve this um this common problem. And I also really appreciated the way um, Jesse rounded up this this presentation. You know, he said that he wanted this project to be this beacon of hope in just what's been a really challenging time and, you know, in so many ways. Um, and I think it is, and it's, it's just a perfect example of 3D technologies, both 3D scanning and 3D printing and the whole of the, the kind of the, the, I guess the, um, the behind the scenes stuff as well that comes into that really coming together to create a solution that just would not have been possible with traditional manufacturing. Mm. Um, and then the presentation after that um, was one with a company called Innovis. So we had an interview up this week with um, Jordan Van Flute, who's the chief technology officer at Innovis Medical. They are um, a Sintelens-based company, so Northwest uh, England. And yeah, so they, they've come up with medical devices, which are um, built with 3D printing. Um, they are medical simulation devices, which apparently before this company got started was something that was quite difficult to get your hands on. Um, they're very expensive quite difficult to get if you're maybe a student or a, a, a trainee medical professional. Um, so this basically trio of um, graduates from across um, 
medical and also psychology basically came together to see what they could do to make these medical simulation products and do it in a way that was that, that just made the most sense for them you know they didn't need these these massive volumes of products um, and they also needed to make things cheaply as well because they were a startup and they needed to think of a viable way to do that so uh, yeah so Jordan gave a presentation during the conference just about their whole process and just how they got started because it, it's really a company whose story has evolved with the way that they've used 3D printing um, and they've been using 3D systems technology um, which is who they were talking about during the conference um, but they started out with just um, kind of I'll, I'll, I'll quote um, Jordan here just cobbling together and prototypes to start with in their little um, garage um, back in the early days I think it was 2012 um, and they started out just kind of coming up with these prototypes for these medical simulation devices which were um, quite simple from doing that they managed to to show off this prototype and actually get some traction and and um, they actually sold um, a few of these early on um, to a hospital again um, in the northwest of the UK um, and yeah, so they they started out with that, and then they were able to invest in their first 3D printer. They invested in a few bits of equipment, including a CNC machine, an acrylic vendor machine, and also a desktop 3D printer, um, which allowed them to really start making um, these small parts and just prototype and just planted the seed really for what they could potentially do with 3D printing because. Um, starting out, they they were a small company. They didn't want to really go through the traditional manufacturing route of, you know, you you maybe outsource your design and then you outsource your manufacturing um, to another country perhaps and then you have to order thousands and thousands and thousands in bulk just to make it worth making the molds and, and, and getting the orders in and then think of a way to then store all that and then you have to work on selling it all. Whereas they wanted a better way to do that knowing that they just didn't need those volumes straight away. Um, so they started early on using 3D printing to make these prototypes and I think it was a project they had with a university in the UK, um, Edge Hill University, which came to them about making a very specific simulation device. Um, and they were able to use a service bureau to um, to kind of discover SLS 3D printing, um, which really kind of opened the doors even further for them to see what was possible with 3D printing. They used SLS to make these um, casings for this particular device. Um, and it was just from there, really, that they really thought, OK, wow, we can actually make these, not, not just these little components, but we can make these kind of um, end use parts for these products. And it was after a couple of years of, of um, outsourcing this service bureau that then they eventually decided to um, to have a look around. And they actually went shopping at TCT Show in 2018 uh, for an SLS machine to ring in house. It just so happened that they went with 3D Systems. Um, who very quickly um, set them up in about in a couple of weeks time really and um, they've been using that SLS system um, from 3D Systems since last January and according to Jordan that business has just completely exploded with that now and they're just constantly printing parts not just those casings but casings for several other products now and also using it for other things like um like making molds for silica parts and various other things too um but kind of touched on something you said then, Sam, about the, the heavy industry um, talk and just how they had to then automate their processes after 3D prints as well with things like the, the machining part. Mm. Well, these guys have also decided to um, to automate their process for um, post-processing. 
Um, so instead of just instead of buying a machine and bringing it in house, they actually developed their own just to really because it just made the most sense for them. They said that it didn't make sense for them to bring in an outside machine. They've kind of built everything else from the ground up in the way they've done things, and they wanted to build this um, this post processing part of the value chain themselves as well. And that really has allowed them to to scale up their manufacture because. They're now printing so many more of these parts and, and just various different types of devices that it just made sense to, to do that themselves. So it's um, a, a really nice example, really, of just how, um, I guess, the various stages of 3D printing. We talk ourselves an awful lot about, um, you know, evaluating additive, um, adopting additive and then optimizing it. And they're mm-hmm. kind of a perfect example of how a company has done every single step of that chain, really. Yeah. Um, but as I said, I got to uh, got to interview um, Jordan a couple of weeks back now um, in mm-hmm. preparation for some of our Formnets Connect interviews and content back when Sam and I were being super organized before <laughs> millions and millions of emails came through our inboxes instead. Uh, but yeah, we did quite a few interviews anyway. We managed to, to secure some in advance and actually get a few things out of the way. Um, a couple of interviews that you did, Sam, uh, one of yours was speaking to uh, Nexus 3D. I really feel like, feel like you're our TCT hookup for getting updates on Nexus 3D. And Abby, I can tell, tell us about what uh, what he had to say. Yeah, so I, I spoke to Abby ahead uh, of Form Next, um, and it was all initially it was kind of you know in a, in a bid to get their news in advance. The conversations kind of segued into into probably their biggest development of the year, and then subsequent to that interview, they've um, they've made materials launches. They've um, announced a software partnership with Castor, launched a some kind of European customer center too, I think. Um, but the, the main topic of conversation was um, about Nexa 3D's acquisition of Next Factory. And we, we've spoken about that um, a little earlier on the pod. Um, but I, I went to Avi with some questions to kind of understand why why and how that came about. And um, he told us that um, if this acquisition was preordained when he recruited both companies from Europe under the exponential work, umbrella he certainly didn't see it um but the idea first came about around about 12 months ago um when they realized that next factory was only a few months behind the development of nexa um and and they were beginning to repeat the same go-to-market processes um securing distributors and that kind of thing as, as they had with nexa and then the pandemic hit and they they both began to respond as um, you know as, as many did and, and produced medical parts and by the end of the the kind of first peak both both sides were agreed that an acquisition or, or a merger however you want to look at it was the best way to move forward mm-hmm. uh, next factory could benefit from the infrastructure that next had already built up and then and then next comes to market with a portfolio double the size and, and able to cater for twice as much need and, and obviously uh you know avi was the CEO of 3D Systems for many years, and, and they kind of have a similar, you know, range in their portfolio. They've got, um, you know, a lot of uh, deep expertise in, in SLA, and they, you know, as we've just talked about, they also have, a, you know, SLS machines as well. So so Avi's kind of comfortable in, in that position, bringing that kind of company to market. Um, and in terms of product development, um, Nexa continues to release new materials. Um, they've you know, they've got a partner in, in Henkel, they've designed some prototyping materials, casting patterns, medical specific materials. Um, and maybe a month or so before Form Next launched the XCure platform, 
mm-hmm. um, which is a curious curing station designed to initially it was designed um, as a necessity during the pandemic um, as they kind of were reaching these higher scales they they needed to kind of ensure that obviously with some of the parts that were making that the quality was there and 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 that's how the the XQL machine kind of came into play and um, and that's an open platform Avi was saying that while it's kind of you know they've they've designed it for their own machines if if any other SLA uh, vendors or users wanted the machine they're, they're more than happy to kind of deal with them um they've, they've also aligned with castor um as i mentioned at the top um to harness some of their 3d printing decision support capabilities um and then on the sls side with next factory um materials are also under development there um there'll be a pbt material that comes with the qls 350 system and then they're working with DSM and Ivonic on, on some other materials like PA11 and PA12. Um, and then there's a partnership with Siemens also to kind of make sure the machine is automation ready at the demand of primarily automotive companies, but, you know, plenty of other industries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot going on there. Um, it sounds, you know, quite exciting. And then going back to Exponential Works, they're starting now to recruit other companies, Um the idea behind that is that they share the same space and um you know they have kind of the same ip firm and marketing um but it's kind of with this acquisition taking on the new role as kind of matchmaker as well so i wouldn't i wouldn't be overly surprised to see more of that kind of thing to happen with with companies that uh avi reichenthal is dealing with Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, Castor there again, Sam, and I, mm. I just wanted to quickly touch on that because um, I spoke to Castor's uh, CEO um, exclusively for TCT about um, the new product which they launched at Form Next this week, and um, like <laughs> me and you were just like, "What more news again?" <laughs> when, when it all came in, um, so yeah, we Castor had actually launched um, an enterprise version of their software, um, so similar to what they've been doing with um, with, with Nexus three D. Um, they they have a software which basically makes it easier for you to go in um, and decide what makes sense to 3D print, which I think is just a great idea because mm-hmm. it is one of the great difficulties of this industry to understand what it is worth 3D printing. Yeah, I, I know that a lot of companies will have got 3D prints in-house because they've kind of got swept up in hype of maybe like, you know, going back. 10 years ago or, or something and they're not really known what to do with that technology mm-hmm. um, but Castor have come up with this solution which basically means you can um you can kind of upload your um your internal 3d printing capabilities or or outsource to a, a network of suppliers as well um and just upload your parts and just see what makes sense to 3d print and where you're going to have um, benefits across a parts life cycle in terms of um you know whether it's going to reduce costs for you is it going to be a is, is it going to be a better functioning part that kind of stuff and um, so they've had this this normal solution which was um has been recently renamed as um, as castor light mm-hmm. um which is more of a more of kind of like an entry-level tool which as, as i've just said you would upload your parts and it would tell you whether it was whether it was worthwhile 3d printing and what benefits you could get from from 3d printing this part um and that was kind of aimed more at people that maybe don't have much knowledge on 3d printing so kind of um the i guess i guess the basics really of just understanding where it makes sense whereas mm. this enterprise solution um is aimed more at those people that 
kind of already have that um they have that understanding of 3d printing they're already maybe experts in the technology actually but they just want to understand how the how 3d printing can be used to to basically do their job better mm-hmm. so um this now this new solution has all these various new features uh, which allows you to see the the different ways that additive can be beneficial and the bit that i found most impressive was that you can um upload an assembly and it will tell you where it makes sense to consolidate your parts um so whereas like maybe the first solution kind of gives you advice on whether it was worth printing that specific part this one and we'll look at maybe where you can um reduce weight and um, reduce those assemblies and kind of help with the redesign of your part which i just think is so so cool They've also added other tools like FEA, uh, which is, of course, like helping with all the kind of the um, the ins and outs of the, the kind of more analytical side um, of the part there to show you where it makes more sense to um, to reduce weight and whether the part is still going to function properly once you build it in this way. It gives you um, it gives you exact um, numbers on things like um, calculating your, your print savings. Um, so compared to traditional processes, and that includes things like the actual manufacturing your inventory, the shipments, the assembly as well. So all of those things that maybe you don't consider just straight away thinking about 3D printing, it does all that for you, um, which I just think is, is really, really interesting. But as you mentioned before, Sam, they're working with companies now like Nexus3D to develop these um, kind of white label solutions for them. They've already done one um, with materials company Evonik, which is actually one of their investors. They did that last year, or was it earlier this year? Um, yeah, so they did that, which was basically a platform of helping their customers and um, to decide whether it makes sense to use Ivonic materials to 3D print their parts. Um, and they're doing similar things with other companies. So I know they've worked with um, companies like um, Stanley Black & Decker um, to um, to help them just to, because Stanley Black & Decker is a company that have got like thousands and thousands of parts on their various like customer facing products. So, mm. um, you know, just re- re- kind of cost uh, reduction analysis across those products there. There's also um, a brewery company company as well called AB and Bev, which is using the software to tackle challenges in maintenance and spur part sourcing. They've got various different sites. So it's determined whether additive can be used in place of traditional manufacturers to get those parts uh, to the point of need and much more quickly and much more economically. Um, but there's just so many interesting ways that this can be used. And I did find the material stuff uh, really interesting actually, because it does kind of fit in, into a bit of a trend at the minute where we are seeing these big materials companies um, partnering or, or, you know, even even buying up um, 3D printing service bureaus because they want to be more in touch with those end users and the parts that they're actually producing. So I think for something like, like that, this, this really makes sense. But again, with a, with a manufacturer like Nexa 3D, there's, there's so many ways that this can be can be valuable to them as well so it's been a, a really interesting week for castor with, with with several announcements so i'm very interested to see um how this takes off i, I know that with the kind of the the beta solution that already had around thirty thousand parts uploaded to the software mm-hmm. um, and generated several of those white label solutions for some pretty big customers so um i'm keen to see um where they go next uh, sam you also spoke to um continuous composites as well um to get an update on where they what they're doing yeah and and um, they're actually another company who've who've had investment from um, a materials company and I'm partner with a materials company in Arkema and um, they were representing along with Siemens continuous composites at, at Fall Next Connect. Um, those two are, you know, as as you might imagine, helping continuous composites with um, robotics and software development, um, as well as kind of the development of 
thermostat resins and these thermostat resins are snap curing and are impregnated with continuous fiber and the print head of um, continuous composite solution and it is um, these materials are said to hold their shape instantly which allows them to print without support so there's a video somewhere on, on the web where continuous composites are able to deposit material on one platform and then move and continue printing in midair and then carry on on the other platform which is um really cool and, and just before form next they um announced one of their kind of most significant developments to date in the form of a demonstration facility um and and in that demo facility the technology is kind of powered by a motion platform equipped with robotic arms um that's not said that it will always be that um, the company says it's motion platform agnostic and they may even one day package up the technology into office-friendly machines like many others on the market. Um, and, and, and they're looking to, to challenge many other composite suppliers, um, you know, not just wanting to compete with the likes of Mark Forge, Desktop Metal, and Print, and mm-hmm. 9T Labs and many others, but they want to, you know, really challenge composite suppliers and penetrate you know the automotive and aerospace industries as well as a number of others um like consumer goods maritime um so i I spoke to the ceo tyler alvarado about all of that um he was saying that commercialization is still a, a bit of time away but but this demo facility will allow kind of interested companies to to see the technology in action and it's also going to be used as an r&d unit to improve some aspects of the technology that are detailed in the in the article that's currently live on on the TST magazine website. Um, and then kind of once the technology is available, that facility will kind of take on a new role as well in that companies can basically use the facility to kind of pick and choose and configure the setup that is suitable to them. Mm-hmm. And then um, with the help of a partner, continuous composites will then integrate that into their facility. Um, but they were they're a really exciting company. It's a you know as it as it stands, it's a bit different to the other composite technologies we've got on the market. Um, it's a bit more flexible in in how you adopt it. Um, and you know, hopefully, um, commercialization is not too far away, and and we can start to see companies uh you know actually deploy it. Mm-hmm. So we're now going to move on to talk about um, some of the news highlights uh, from this week's event. Um, But first, a word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial-grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod. So we've had quite a lot of news really coming out of this week, as we've said. Um, I think the biggest one so far has been SLM Solutions mm-hmm. um, launching um, a new machine, which we're hoping to have um, a bit more info from them um, perhaps next week. But um, they have launched um, a new metal 3D printer equipped with 12 lasers. And with some more news we're going to tell you about shortly, it really does feel like it's been the week for big laser power. <laughs> 
Um, so just to give you a bit of a brief on what they've done. So um, SLM has launched its most productive additive manufacturing machine to date um, in the form of this new selective laser, sorry, selective laser melting machine equipped with 12 one kilowatt lasers. Um, it's kind of got a new naming convention away from what they usually do. So it's the NXG... Uh, 12600 I think that is the correct way to say this um, so it's a large industrial system it's got a huge build envelope of 600 by 600 by 600 millimeters and it's supposed to be 20 times faster than a single laser system and that is because of course of these multi-laser capabilities and also this new um, zoom function which promises um, optimal productivity and reliability as well so as I said we're going to have um, some more info on this machine next week um, in a Q&A and uh, you'll actually be able to read more about it um, on the cover of our, very, our next issue, which is going into production next week. Um, but yeah, this was a really interesting um, for SLM Solutions. It also comes at a time when they've had a bit of a rebrand too. Uh, this machine has been described as a revolution in industrial uh, industrial manufacturing and that is by the COO. Um, and I know, Sam, we have heard that term so many times in this industry. Um, but what he had to say was, was that up until now, the limit had been considered to be that of a quad laser system what we deliver here with 12 kilowatt of installed laser power is truly groundbreaking and a major step forward not just for additive manufacturing but for manufacturing in general mm -hmm. the potential of production and productivity gains that this machine offers you means for the first time in history of additive manufacturing you can have true serial production fully integrated into your supply chain what do you think about that um it sounds quite interesting i, I saw um a lot of people on twitter at first really excited about it um and then i think maybe as as kind of the days went on through the week then starting to crunch the numbers and work out um exactly how how the the whole thing works with, with so many lasers across the the build volume it certainly sounds um you know promising and, and i think it's um it will probably be a you know a welcome addition to their portfolio from a lot of the industries i'm sure they're targeting um Particularly, you know, we spoke about the kind of heavy industry and aerospace industries before. I know that a lot, a lot of the times when you speak to these companies in these sectors, they do, they would like, if possible, the ability to print larger parts without having to then assemble after, after the print. And I, I think you know, if, if, if the, if you know, they're successful with this launch and they're able to kind of get it into those um organizations then then it you know it should be kind of welcomed by by those uh industry players mm -hmm. yeah definitely i mean it is it's a pretty uh chunky build volume that you've got mm. to say you know, with this, this square build volume and um it's said to so i think i think on the, the the laser point i think that really is coupled with this new zoom function that they've talked about which we've not really had full details on yet which I hope to have more on, on next week, but um, the idea is it's supposed to improve the laser time in the build process with this new optic system, which has been apparently completely tailor-made uh, for this system um, to facilitate this kind of large overlap with all of these lasers. So all of the 12 optics, um, all the, the spot size of those can be um, defined through this new double lens system, which is supposed to let customers choose between the different sizes in the focal plane to allow for build rates up to um, 100 cc an hour, which sounds pretty impressive. But again, it's quite difficult to see, isn't it? Because we've not been to a physical event this year. And normally you and I would be going around and looking at the parts that have come off these systems and, mm. and talking to people in person and seeing the machine up close. So it, it's quite difficult to, to judge at the minute. But just, just straight away, we've never seen this kind of laser power before in, in the industry. Um, as, as you know, um, Sam O'Leary had said in, in his comment, you know, kind of the limit had been considered to be these quad laser systems which we've seen 
um, more of over the last couple of years. So this just really blows that out of the water. And if it, if it does work the way it said it's supposed to work, I think this could be really exciting for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see as well, you know, when when it will be, you know, launched and, and companies will be able to adopt um, similar. Um, I know we'll come on briefly to additive industries who've launched their own pretty large machine um, just a few days after SLM. Um, th- this has got 10 one kilowatt lasers across a 600 by 600 by 1,000 millimetre bill volume. So that's a metre in the Z-axis. Um, and obviously that's kind of been designed to allow users to print even larger parts and are available in the Metal Fab 1 machine. Um, so I think that machine has a build volume of around 400 by 400 by 400. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Metal Fab 600 um, is expected to be launched next year. But it, again, it'll be interesting to see when uh, companies will actually be able to get their hands on it. But um, alongside this announcement, there's been some move around the exact level to kind of bring this technology to market so the current ceo mark vice is reassuming the role of cto and and co-founder jonas wintermans is stepping in as ceo and then the wintermans family has also invested 33 Mm -hmm. million dollars into the company this year again to kind of push this product and other products i think to to market um and you know this comes a few weeks after velo 3d again we're expanding um, kind of build volumes in their metal machines so there is a lot of this going on and it's quite interesting that three companies in quick succession have kind of come out with <clears throat> similar build volume dimensions and and obviously there'll be a lot of competition there you would imagine in, in the next few years mm-hmm. yeah you're right it certainly has become a bit of a trend in the industry to to go with these higher build volumes but mm-hmm. as you said something that we certainly hear when we're speaking to these end users it's something that they definitely want in mm-hmm. manufacturing these bigger build volumes it's just whether the productivity can really um kind of match up to these these huge build size as well but i think that's where all this kind of huge laser power um really comes into it so it'll be interesting to see more of the metal fab 600 i believe it's going to be more towards the end of next year when we're going to see anything i think so far all we've really got is a is a bit of a concept image which is mm. pretty just the same as what we've got from the the current system yeah. um, which is the the metal fab one um but we have reached out to additive industries and we'll hopefully have a few more details coming um, in in the next few weeks on that system and mm-hmm. um, you've also covered um yet another machine as well sam this week uh, one from a company um called we matter uh, what's that about yeah so this is a uh, swedish firm um and this is um, actually a new generation of their Gravity Machine, Gravity 2021. Um, it's an office-friendly SLS platform available via a 36-month subscription um, with what they say is kind of improved temperature control and a great greater capacity to print thin walls compared to their old machine, um, while also promising a smoother sintering process thanks to some software algorithms. It's got a 300 by 300 by 300 millimeter build volume, so that's, you know, a pretty good size for what is supposedly an office friendly machine and currently processing PA11 and PA12 uh, <clears throat> powders with polypropylene on the way. Um, they're also um, a big part of this machine is making it easy to service and um, they, they mentioned in their press release that 
they focused a lot on the Rakota in that regard and they liken it to a snowplow that doesn't you know stop for any obstacles so it should be quite sturdy um and by making it kind of easier to maintain and easier to service they they think it'll make the technology a bit more accessible um it's a company we'll, we'll obviously be looking to, to follow up as we have done with slm and additive industries over the next few weeks and um it'll be it'll be interesting to learn more again another company that was um kind of getting a lot of traction on social media with their launch mm-hmm. um a few interested parties particularly with that kind of subscription um platform and and, and kind of what that entails and obviously there's i guess questions to ask on post-processing and that kind of thing but um we'll be we'll be looking to find that out in the next few weeks Mm-hmm. Yeah, these office friendly or even desktop SLS machines always generate so much interest. Mm. And we've, we have seen a lot of them come and then go in, in, in the industry, you know, the, like like startups coming up with these machines and then we never really see anything of them in, in actual end user facilities. But mm-hmm. this one just it, it feels different, this one, because you're right, there has been a, a heck of a lot of interest around it. And I think that subscription model will be quite interesting to people. Mm-hmm. You could subscription models in detail um earlier this year sam um just talking about the various different buying options for 3d printers and subscription models are making it so much easier for people to invest in technology something like sls as well which going back to innovus earlier you know they were they were a startup and eventually invested in um in an sls system a huge industrial sls system and you know they, they they weren't shy about the fact that you know it is a challenge for startups to invest in that kind of technology, but, you know, don't give up hope you will, you will be able to do it. You know, but they had to build themselves up after a few years of working mm-hmm. with service providers to actually bring that in house. So I think something like this makes that really interesting because with a, with a subscription model, maybe we will see more startups able to get on board with SLS at an earlier stage. Um, and we'll see much more inter- interesting applications coming out of that as well. Yeah, one hundred, one hundred percent. Especially in the kind of current climate, um, you know, we've we've seen the context reports of of people being a bit, bit more hesitant to to kind of make capital investments this year. Um, and so I think I'd be surprised if a lot of a lot of vendors weren't figuring out how they could make a kind of subscription model, um, you know, doable for their for their product. Mm-hmm. Um, another big launch we saw this year, which we did um, a Q&A with, was Solucon. So Solucon are a post, post-processing expert for additive manufacturing. Um, and they seem to have done really well since they launched a couple of years back um, at Formnext. I've, I've seen their systems in a number of facilities. Um, here in the UK, I went to visit Material Solutions, um, a Siemens company. Um, I think it was last January now, and they had a couple of their systems already in-house. Um, but they've always focused on the post-process, pro- post-processing for metal additive manufacturing, whereas this week they've actually announced their very first system, which is aimed purely at powder-based polymer processes. So it's the um, SFP770. It's apparently an entirely new solution, which combines both excess powder removal and also a cleaning cycle into a single system. And similar to the metal processes, it is completely automated. So um, the idea is just to make production easier for additive manufacturing. So it's got a huge build box, 150 litres. So polymer parts can just be packed in there, finished, no residue comes out, and that's all within a few minutes. Um, so as I said, so you kind of done a been quite an impressive company since they arrived um, on the scene and they actually took home the TCT 
award for post-processing, mm. I think it was last year now. Um, and I think it was their project they had in collaboration uh, with Siemens. So um, I spoke to uh, Andreas Hartman, who is the CTO and co-founder at Soyucom. And I just asked him, like, how is this technology different from the metal technologies? And he just said, they're concentrating on the removal of residual powder from highly complicated metal structures. And this new polymer process involves much more post-processing steps that had to be solved. The process includes an automated unpacking of the complete build box, internal transfer of unpacked parts, and fine cleaning of the parts surface. And this fully programmable to, it's fully programmable to adapt it to a huge range of part sizes, sizes and geometries that can appear within one print job. So yeah, it probably is a, a more in some ways, a more complex process that you have to address with these post-processing steps um, for powder-based polymer 3D printing. Wow, that's a tongue twister. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, But they've had to solve all this and to really uh, bridge this gap um, in the industry. Uh, They actually said that this this particular piece of machinery was pushed by one of their long-standing customers whose um, aim really was to have an economic powder-free shop floor, which I think is the dream for um, for many additive manufacturing uh, production floors, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I, I think I would say I saw at the Siemens facility with their metal processes. Um, they're using a lot of EOS systems and then putting their parts into Soycon systems to post-processes them. And it just certainly felt like this really clean, pristine, powder-free process. Um, so the idea is that all the processes run without any contact with the powder. Mm-hmm. And they kind of expect this to be mandatory now when you're talking about future mass production of polymer 3d printed parts so i just thought that was a really interesting development for them quite a quite a left turn from what they've been doing already but i guess makes complete sense especially as we do see more and more people adopting um sls technology it made sense for them to do something then in the um in the the polymer side so the machine is going to be available um middle of 2021 uh, and finally sam i just wanted to touch on another story before we close and uh, it's a collaboration between stratasys and anthropology now mm. i know you've been talking to these guys uh, more about this news but just give us the the rundown of what this is about yeah uh absolutely yeah we've got a, we've got an interview coming out in in the next few days hopefully um with with both sides and um these these two companies came together around 60 days ago with the idea to develop um, design for additive manufacturing tools for assembly fixtures um this this is just to start they do intend to bring out a series of tools but um this this first set has been designed to make the design and development of tools much quicker um, based on the parameters a user needs it will quickly generate the most optimum design that will be printable with stratasys machine and materials um because it's you know it's in such kind of it's such an early days thing they wouldn't go into what comes next um but they they said they have a few ideas and i imagine you know users of the platform will have some too once they get their hands on it but um the these guys seem very excited to be working together um i think anthropology were surprised at how quickly stratasys could move um because i think they're used to kind of getting things done in you know in the space of a couple of months and stratasys is obviously this public company that's 30 years old and i think they're a bit surprised by that and they they seem to enjoy the fact that last last week or the week before in the air force olympics they're competing and and now they're both they're both partnering and um they're enjoying you know that kind of dynamic and they were saying it's it's the kind of dynamic actually that is necessary to push this industry forward this kind of friendly competition um mm-hmm. it'll be you know be interesting to see what what the guys there come up with next and, and how that partnership develops in the future mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's nice that they said that really because it is it's something that we talk about all the time. But um, the idea that collaboration needs to happen to push the industry forward, and as you said, a long-standing company like Stratasys, which has been in the industry since the beginning, partnering with a relatively new company like Entopology, um, it just goes to show how this industry is going to develop by kind mm-hmm. of the stalwarts of the industry develop. Uh, partnering with these these newer companies to to really push everything forward and, and, and optimize their products so I, I actually spoke with um Enterpology CEO Bradley Rothenberg um, a couple of weeks back now on this podcast and you know he's talked about their their technology and the whole idea is to empower engineers to make transformative products and mm. um, they said that they're hearing from their customers all the all the time now that they're designing parts of Enterpology that they could really only dream of previously and I just think imagine that now that power with Stratasys machines Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be something really exciting to look forward to going into next year yeah absolutely Pat Pat Carey was on the Stratasys side was quite honest when he he was saying that we'd have done this ourselves without anthropology but we we don't have the time and Mm -hmm. they they kind of see the startup as a way of getting these ideas out to market a lot quicker than than their kind of thing I think they think the same with materials they it's not that they don't back their expertise but if they partner with someone who actually knows you know the kind of materials inside out and who has you know a, probably a lot more expertise in house in terms of volume um, and kind of numbers of personnel they can they can kind of just get it to market quicker so I think we will see a lot more of this and I think you know it's probably quite a good way of the larger companies getting ideas out that the that have come from kind of customer demand out to market a lot quicker mm-hmm. and now we're getting right up to the hour i think that's probably a good point to finish on i love that before sam and i came on <laughs> on today's podcast we said we might only be half an hour today let's just you know yeah. i'm sure we'll run for everything really quickly but no we've, we've doubled that so so good going <laughs> yeah, i think that's a testament to just how much has gone on this week um, oh, really? we probably could have talked about a lot more but um that would that would mean another hour probably <laughs> well if you do like what you hear you can get your free print subscription to tct magazine and receive all the biggest 3d printing news stories delivered straight to your inbox every week with our additive insight newsletter just subscribe for free at tctmagazine.com and this sunday you'll actually see a roundup of all the biggest stories from form next this week and um, you can also let us know what you think on social at the tct magazine and also join the discussion on our additive manufacturing global community discord so Thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye.